She wasn't recording, so let me repeat. Thank you. So, yeah, please do. That's what. That's perfect. Actually, just go ahead and repeat it. I'm just going to go ahead and repeat. But, like, make it feel natural. The only way that I can sing is as Alanis Morissette. So, (laughs) oh, let me repeat that. I think that it should be the first time musical episode. That's going to not roll with my um, more like hip hop and rap style. I'm going real Hamilton on mine. I just don't know how that's going to. I don't have enough wine for this. <laughs> Yo, my name is Miles and I'm here to sing. Did you read my music? Because <laughs> I'm here to podcast in a major way. <laughs> Perfect. Perfection, Patricia. Watch out, Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's actually pronounced. <laughs> no, how's yeah? it pronounced? Yeah? No, no let's it, see how's the it bit pronounced? through. How's it pronounced? How's it pronounced, Giles? How's it pronounced? <laughs> No, I can't. No, I, I like a lean go, cuisine, like, like <laughs> lean Manuel Miranda, just the skinniest genius you ever done did see on a musical stage. I don't have anywhere to go with the joke. You are out. Oh, of- you don't say. <laughs> Welcome to what? Welcome to what? It's oh, did you just check yourself there? Was it too much? No. I just wanted she to reiterate. Like, it was just a real American energy and she needed to bring it back down to an English energy. Yeah, that's I, I'm just trying to cater for where everyone's at. <laughs> you might be up here. You might be down here. Welcome to the podcast. It's part documentary, part competition. And this week we have a very special guest. What's up, Miles? Oh, I thought it was going to be Lean, Lean Manuel. But no, yeah, it's me. It's Miles. <laughs> Coming at you. You're just making sure that I have to keep that bit in, aren't you? Yeah. I'll never tell. <laughs> My name's Ellie Main, and I'm the host every week. And with me, as always, I have the delectable, the delicious, Chelsea Hoffish. That's right, Miles. You didn't get called delectable or delicious. You may have been named first, but I was named best. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. I won't get eaten. What? That's embarrassing for you because I will, and you set me up for that. I have five fun fast facts. <gasps> five on my back. Fact number one: my laptop is so far. This isn't the fact. My laptop is so far away. <laughs> that is hard to read. Them. Fact number one: you might think that your nostrils share the workload. And while they do, it's not quite in the way that you might expect. Instead of both taking the same amount of air when you breathe, you actually inhale most of your oxygen through one nostril at a time. And every few hours, your nostrils switch. That's why when you have a cold, normally you have one really stuffed nostril. Oh. Because actually they take it in turns. For dominance. Not me, I'm built different. So our nostrils were designed to be fucking annoying. Uh, I mean, you could take it that way if you... I do. I can't stand it. I cannot stand only being able to breathe through one nostril. And then there's that inevitable, like you switch sides of the pillows. You just turn over to one side and you never, you just hear that like... Oh, I love it. Are you talking about this little sinus squeak when it's like hate it. releasing? It's the best. I just want them to be the same. Uh, well, they're not. You know what? The only way I can get mine to be the same, and this is a little bit weird, is I grasp both of my nostrils like on the outside with yeah. like my thumb and forefinger of yes. each hand, and I like physically pull my no- Fact number two. <laughs> back. Roller coasters were invented to distract Americans from sin. <laughs> God knows we needed it, but continue talking immediately. In the 1880s, 
hosiery businessman Lamarcus Thompson hated that Americans were tempted by hedonistic places like saloons and brothels. So he set out to straighten up one of the most immoral places he could think of, Coney Island, in New York. There he built America's first roller coaster to give New Yorkers some good, clean fun. I like that. That's a weirdly cute reason. He tried to tempt Americans away from seedy pastimes with a roller coaster. That's kind of amazing. Roller coasters are fun. That's why children like them until they get to actually start drinking and fucking. I mean, maybe there's the floor in his problem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this one's really gross. Are you ready? Oh, God. Supermarket apples can be a year old. So fresh apples aren't all that fresh per se. They're usually picked between August and November, covered in wax, hot air dried, and sent into cold storage. And then after six to 12 months, they finally land on the grocery store shelves. This annoys me and let me tell you why. Okay. I used to babysit for a woman who said a lot of wild things about how the world worked. And most of them were incorrect. Mm -hmm. Like one that I always remember is that she showed me a really long story about chimpanzees. And then the end of it was, so therefore that means that I don't need to teach my kid how to read because like no matter what, they're just gonna learn how to do everything anyway. And I was like, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so one of the things she told me was like, you need to wash these apples for a minimum of two minutes under hot water, constantly scrubbing because they're covered in wax and otherwise the wax won't come off. And I was like, okay, Tin Hat. But you're telling me that's true? <laughs> I That is what I learned today. Fact number four, lobsters taste with their feet. What? Tiny that's... bristles inside a lobster's little pincers are their equivalent to human taste buds. Huh. And fact number five, Michelangelo wrote a poem about how much he hated painting the Sistine Chapel. Hell yeah. I did know that he hated painting it. I didn't know he wrote a poem about it. One translation of the poem he sent to his friends begins like this. I've already grown a goiter from this torture, hunched up here like a cat in Lombardy, or anywhere else where the stagnant waters poison. Okay, chill out, dude. I mean, he can't. He never could. And he never did. He never did. (gasps) And that's why he became one of the Ninja Turtles. It's true. adjacent fact bang to your five fun fast facts Whoa. which one the number four lobster one lobster me yeah I what won't. you got it's actually about crab did you know that soft shell crab is not a type of crab is a, is that fake crab soft shell crab is any crab that's like molted its shell huh so what they do is they just wherever there are regions where there's large crab they populations just they just wait for them to go through a molting season and then they oh. pluck out little like vulnerable shit like Crabless shell. Oh, wow. Crabs. Nature's metal. Yeah, it's fucked. We go hard on Earth, as we go, said. We go. But yeah, we I do. always thought it was a type of crab that just had a soft shell. Me too. No, it's any crab. That's a fact bag. Wow. Chelsea, what is your title? You have to tell me. I think you might have had a very similar title. <gasps> so you have to tell me. Well, I ha- yeah, I have my document before oh me. Oh my gosh. I have my ledger. She's got a, a document. <laughs> I do. The happiest warrior in World War II. Now, we recently had America's Longest War. I thought you had like a happy warrior thing. I don't think so. Oh, well, then I made that up. So mine is the happiest warrior in World War II. The happiest warrior in World War II. Is it um, BJ Blazkowicz? Is that a friend of yours? (laughs) (laughs) 
Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, because you're so old. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me put my glasses on to say this. What? BJ Blazkowicz is the name of the protagonist from the Wolfenstein franchise, which takes place during an alt history World War II. What just happened? <laughs> Something has destroyed I Chelsea. Know, I do want you to know off of your story, after the vulnerability that you just shared. So the place that I work, dear listeners, it is a very similar energy to like Liz and like publicity, if you remember publicity <laughs> to Nick Kroll. They're all lovely people. Like I love the people I work with. They're such a great team. They're so talented. There is sometimes a a culture difference between the nightmare that I bring to the table <laughs> and like they're yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like perfect hair extensions and like Instagram worthy outfits and everything. So like they all like let me just put it this way. They all still get dressed up to be on Zoom. And I <laughs> That is an incredible way to divide the public. Oh, yeah. Because there are those of us that work in our pajamas. Yes, that's me. And also me. <laughs> yes. And then there are those of us who put on an indoor hat for yeah. a Zoom call. Some people, yeah, some people we work with put on an indoor hat. <laughs> so today I was put on the spot in a company-wide meeting to say something that I was grateful for, and I panicked. So I ended up giving a very rambly explanation to like these 25 sorority women about how I was so excited for uh, a game called Cyberpunk 2077 and that I had like waited for it for like 18 months. And then I had to explain what crunch was. And then I had to explain what preloading was. And then I had to be like, well, okay, because see, guys, what you have to understand is that like a triple A game is usually like between like 20 and 50 gigs. And so therefore it takes between five and 10 hours to download. So now you can preload it. And like literally, I've never seen like it had the same energy as like when you accidentally say "Oh my god" at church, and everyone's just looking at you like, "I know you messed up, but it's okay." Like, oh I my god! I can just tell that you're really trying, and like I'm still here for you. And I'm like, sorry. That was everybody's face. So you're telling me that you've already done a what topic today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I've lit, I've, what is the title of your topic? The happiest warrior in World War Two, and it's not the guy from Wolfenstein. Gee, dang it! Is it? It's not about your grandpa. Boom! That's like a deep. <laughs> what if it was? <laughs> what if I decided to explain to you this story? <laughs> like you interviewed my grandma. grandma. <laughs> like you went really deep and researched my family, and like I'm telling you the story of your own grandpa. My grandmother wrote a book about our family history be, recently, and uh, I think for the next time I have what topic, I'm just gonna should. read that book verbatim for two hours. You should. Uh, um, that would be amazing. I would be like equal parts impressed and terrified of you <laughs> if you did that. Um, is it about an individual? Is it an individual person's story? It is an individual story. Hmm. Is it like the story of like it's like a feel good story, like the Patch Adams of World War Two, or is it like the oh, this guy loved to murder kind of story? It's much closer to Patch Adams Aww. than murder. Is it about a woman? Women can't do war. Everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> What's your topic, Ellie? Okay. <laughs> Mine is, you best start believing in ghost stories. Because you're about- in one. You're in one. Because it's about Pirates of the Car- Caribbean. It is nay. It's about Jeffrey Rush. I wish. No, it's not about Jeffrey Rush. It's about that cool fucking island that they went to in the second one that like I would give one of my pinkies to like live on. Is it Tortuga? Yeah. yeah. The Isle of Tortuga! You should have been from there. Thank you. I'm- yeah. Honestly, that means a lot. <laughs> no, um, it's not about Tortuga. It's about ghosts. 
Maybe. <gasps> Miles it, loves ghosts. Is it about New Orleans? New Orleans ghosts? <laughs> oh, sweetie. No. Oh, dang. Is it about crying? Crying? Yeah, we just, all, I think all three of us, you know. I'm, I bet, you know what? There is some crying. Yes! Good job. Nailed it. High five, Miles. Should I stop? <laughs> Should you? I've never seen you look more excited about anything, so if you'll stop doing that with your tongue. Do it. Update. Chip is just lying on his back with his tummy up to the sky. No one to see it. He's having a moment. It's just for him. Just for him. You better start believing in ghost stories. Miss Afush and Miss Delina. You're in one. Oh, no. That's right, Miss Deluna. You're in one. Ghost. Okay, so. On October 20th, 1872, Captain Benjamin S. Briggs arrived at Pier 50 on the East River in New York City to supervise the loading of the ship's cargo of 1,700 barrels of denatured alcohol into the breasts of his new boat. Um, what? The Mary Celeste. That's not... Yeah, you know. Wait, there's the bow, there's the stern, the there's the aft, and there's the breast. You know that Wait. about boats. You know we that all have... know that about boats. We Is this a story about... about boats? Well, let me just let me just finish the thing that I'd written. Oh, okay. <laughs> just go ahead. Yeah, she she. I'm. So, I, forgive me for getting just a little thrown off track by the boat's big old titties. Yeah. I didn't know what continue. it was called. Big you old know, boat the, bitties. The bath. The what? bath. Uh, whatever. So he's there. Alcohol is being loaded onto this boat. He's there. His wife, she was his cousin, by the way. Yeah. I hear that was normal at yeah, there was the a, time. Oh, a wife cousin? 1872? Yeah. You gotta get a wife cousin. You gotta, you gotta be wife cousining. <laughs> also, otherwise, how do you know that she's like, you Trustworthy. Know, clean. Yeah. All those things. All the above. His wife cousin and baby daughter were to join him in a week. They were bound to Genoa on his new boat, the Mary Celeste. Oh, what a merry name. Are we? Do you guys know? Why are you staring at us? Do you guys don't know about the Mary Celeste? Yeah, no. What the fuck is that? (gasps) What's the Mary Celeste? Mary Celeste is the first ghost ship. Wait, like the movie Ghost Ship? Like the well, kind of like the movie Ghost Ship. Oh, Oh. you don't want to be dancing on the Mary Celeste if it's anything (laughs) like Ghost Ship. Have you seen? Wait, really quick, Ellie. Have you seen Ghost Ship, or have I made you watch the first ten minutes on YouTube? Because just the first ten minutes is on YouTube. I think you have made me watch the first ten minutes of you because. it's the one where the cover is like it's a ship, but it's also a skull. Yes. Yes. Crazy. And the first 10 minutes has that little girl with like the big lips from Sucker Punch, but she's like a baby. <gasps> that Sucker Punch kid? That Sucker Punch girl. Oh, no wonder she's so traumatized because of the ghost ship. Oh, no, because of the ship of the ghosts where they, they all get cut by a wire. Wow, and then spoilers. You, yes. I'm so sorry, but like is what... that is the coolest fucking scene in a movie. Yeah. Yes, you did show me that. Ranger um, the ghost ship slaps so much that. harder than it needs to. It's true. Similar to the man of Medan interactive video game. That yeah, oh, that was fun. We did walk around. That we were show. very bad at that game. Spooky. I think we killed. We got the everyone. worst ending. Well, no, we got one move away from the best ending, but I I fudged the controller. That and doesn't then sound real. It turns out if you make one bad move, even though you've played like a perfect, everybody game, you dies. Get the worst ending. Well, that would also be the case in that sort of situation in real life, wouldn't it? Though, do you fuck up once you're dead? Think about that. Well, bring so- it up. Wow. <laughs> So let me tell you about the little Mary Celeste, this little baby girl. Okay. Okay. Tell us. Well, this 
voyage with the titties of alcohol was supposed to be her first voyage after an extensive New York makeover. No, oh my God, makeover montage. Were the Fab Five there, but like their descendants? Swag in New York City. Let me tell you that. So the boat was originally Canadian, uh, and she was called the Amazon at first. Oh, the Amazon. If you're she was big lady. So it was built in 1860, which is 12 years. That's when Miles was born. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) It's 12 years before our story starts. (laughs) Got his ass. But you know how we love to talk about curses? Yes. So the boat was given a new name after a series of mishaps. (gasps) Coincidences, perhaps. Who's to say? Oh, no. Misfortune on the water. Misfortunes at sea. These included the sudden illness and death of its first captain, a collision with another ship in the English Channel, and finally a wreckage in a terrible storm. Terrible. So then she was sort of fixed, cobbled together, mended, and... Frankensteined. Frankensteined, just like Ellie's hands. They just put, like, new paint on it, and, like, a used car salesman came out and slapped the bow and was like, this baby can fit so much alcohol in her titties. Yeah. They did that thing in Matilda where they wind the speedometer back. Yeah. They were like, she's actually only done like, I don't know, like one tiny voyage, whatever. She's new. She's fresh. She's only gone once. Uh, So she was purchased, mended, refitted, and then registered as an American vessel in in New York under the new name Mary Celeste. Mm. Then after a series of events, she was seized by some creditors, sold again, and eventually bought by our hero, sort of Benjamin S. Briggs. So then he took her on her New York makeover, got her ready for her, her first time back at sea. Sunday, November 3rd, Briggs wrote to his mother to say that he intended to leave on the Tuesday, adding, our vessel is in beautiful trim and I hope we shall have a fine passage. On Tuesday morning, Mary Celeste left Pier 50 with Briggs, his wife and daughter, and seven crew members moved into New York Harbor. They were on their way, but the weather was shit. So yeah. they decided to wait. As you must in mm. them days with with boats. I mean, you know, we learned this from the from the episode with my father. Aww. Unfavorable weather, bad times. It really fuck you up. Really fuck you up. So he anchors the ship just off Staten Island, where all the people came in to be yes. like, "I want to be American." And that uh-huh. was back when they were like, "Yes, please." That's yeah. what this country's about. Right, yeah, right, right, right. yeah. Remember those days? It's a different vibe. So then his cousin wife Sarah used that delay to send a letter to her mother in law, with whom they'd left their son Arthur. Yeah, okay. we got it. And they said, "Tell Arthur." I make great dependence on the letters I shall get from him and will try to remember anything that happens on the voyage which he would be pleased to hear. And the weather eased about two days later and so Mary Celeste was on her way. So while this was happening, while Mary Celeste was waiting to get out onto the Atlantic. Yes. A, not quite yet, but soon. A Canadian brigantine, Die Gratia, lay nearby in Hoboken, New Jersey. And they were waiting for a cargo of petroleum but they were also destined for Genoa. Oh! And it's possible that the captains both knew each other. So Benjamin Briggs and Captain David Morehouse. Some people say that they were just like mates in the pub. They knew each other because they're both captains. They're like, you're a captain. Sorry. Yeah, you're Sorry. a captain. Oh, yeah. you waiting for petroleum? That's cool. I'm waiting for alcohol. Nice. They're truck drivers, basically. Okay. Yeah. Truck drivers of yore. They have a code. They have a code. Other people were like, they dined, they were best friends. Oh my God, they loved each other. They were so good. Oh my God. <laughs> they like shipped them. Yeah. Like they oh, they got, the- these guys, these guys got shipped. Man, that would have been a better title. Sh- Let's fast forward. Okay. December 5th, 1872. Yes. Both boats have been at sea for, well, one for three weeks and one for four. Miles is 12. Miles is 12. 
It was a formative time for me. <laughs> De Gratia was about 400 miles east of the Azores when crew members spotted a ship at full sail adrift in the choppy <gasps> seas. Okay. Captain David Morehouse was taken aback to discover that the unguided vessel was the Mary Celeste. What? What? She had had an eight-day head start, and so she should have already been in Genoa. That's what he was fully f- expecting. F- wait, full sail adrift. So, like the sails. So are- all the sails so are up. All the sails are up. Like they're at full sail. Yeah. Catching all the wind. Catching all the wind. There's no. Doesn't seem to be anyone on board manning her. I see. So she's just kind of going. Who's that going? has got to be one of the scariest situations you could find yourself in. I think it'd be a very spooky thing as to a boat. See. Like so, as, as a boat, <laughs> no one's watching your titties. No, but your like, think about that. Think about that. Off. Like, what? Like, what on? What on earth is the equivalent of that today? Because I couldn't like being out in the middle it would of the be ocean, seeing an like an unmanned eighteen wheeler coming towards you on the highway. No, no, I or think like, it's worse than that. Because think about this. Like back in those times, you're making long voyages. You're in the middle of the open ocean. There's no one but you and your crew. And then you see, oh, cool, another boat. And everyone's fucking gone. Like, horrifying. I mean, I guess maybe the only thing that would be similar, and I don't even know if this happens, is if you were on, like, a carnival cruise. And you and, like, you know, your new, like, If you're on a Disney cruise. Yeah, you're on a Disney cruise. And you and your new 300 best friends are all, like, on the Lido deck, like, doing the, like, hula hoop. <laughs> and then you see another Disney cruise. And you get your binoculars out because, like, duh, of course you have binoculars. <laughs> and you look, and like nobody is on that Lido deck. There's just... one unoccupied goofy costume. <laughs> it's just like a naked dude with a Mickey hat. <laughs> just the ears. That the shit out of me. So Morehouse decides to go yeah. aboard. So he sends. He sends. Well, he doesn't. He's a captain. He sends a boarding party. Of course, he sends a boarding party to the ship below deck. The ship's charts that's hard to say ships charts ships charts the ships ships charts charts had been tossed about and the crewmen's belongings were still in their quarters the ship's only lifeboat was missing and one of its two pumps had been disassembled there was three and a half feet of water sloshing in the ship's bottom but the cargo of 1700 barrels of alcohol was pretty much intact (gasps) there was still a six-month supply of food and water but not a soul on board so you said only one um, lifeboat was gone. One lifeboat was gone, but that p- couldn't possibly be enough for the entire crew, right? Well, they only had one. The ship's only lifeboat. Well, so the but the crew was Briggs, his wife, their daughter, and seven other people. Oh, how, how big's a lifeboat? I don't know. I feel like that could work. Okay, that might be everybody. Well, we'll get there. Okay. Oh. Whoa, shit! So they I hate found, that. They found the ship's daily log in the mate's cabin, and its final entry was dated at eight a.m. on November twenty-fifth, which is nine days earlier. Oh fuck! It recorded Mary Celeste's position then as just off Santa Maria Island in the Azores, nearly four hundred nautical miles from where it was found. The cabin interiors were wet and untidy from the water that had come in, but other otherwise reasonable order. He found personal items scattered about Briggs's cabin, including a sheathed sword under the bed. But most of the ship's papers were missing, along with the captain's navigational instruments. All the galley equipments were neatly stowed away. There was no food prepared or under preparation, but as I said, ample provisions. There were no obvious signs of fire or violence. The evidence indicated an orderly departure from the ship by means of the missing lifeboat. But no one was ever found. 
What the fuck? That's weird as fuck. Uh. Why would an experienced captain like Briggs or his sailors abandon a perfectly sound ship? Theories over the years have ranged from mutiny and pirate attack to assault by a giant sea monster. Well, obviously. Everything. So, after spotting it, the Diagratia crewmen had to sail the ship another 800 miles to Gibraltar, where the British Vice Admiralty convened a salvage hearing. So basically, if you found a ship that was unmanned, you had to you could take it back to a port, and then you would go through a hearing where you basically get to like divide the spoils. You're just oh. like, I found this ship. It has all this stuff in it. It's no one's. There's no one around. It's mine now. Can we? Can I divide it amongst my crewmen? It was so. Yeah, these hearings were usually limited to determining whether the salvagers, in this case, the guys from the Digracia were entitled to payment from the ship's insurers because there was no one to claim the insurance on this ship. So if you find a ship, can you claim the insurance on it, basically, is the whole thing. So the attorney general in charge of the inquiry, which is a guy called Frederick Solly Flood, suspected mischief. He thought that these guys had got aboard the Mary Celeste, murdered them all, then towed the ship to Gibraltar. I mean, is that not possible? It's very possible. Where they tried to claim a lover's tip, if you will. He was like, "Hey, what's up? It's me, your friend that is shipped with you." Yes, it's my friend Morehouse. This hearing went on for three months, which was like pretty unheard of for a salvage hearing. Yeah, that's long. That's some OJ shit. And the court found no evidence of foul play. Eventually, the guys from the Digratia received a payment, but only one sixth of the forty-six thousand dollars. For which the ship and its cargo had been insured, which would be a shite ton. I was going to say that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for now. Which kind of suggests that the people were like, "We think that you done did it, but we can't prove it." So right, because off of it being the 1800s, right? So go fuck yourselves. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Is like, what would be evidence at that time, right? Where it's like, well, we didn't find any like active bodies that were pointing to a sign in blood that said (laughs) it was Morehouse. I did it. So, there's just no way to know. (laughs) There's just no What can we do? And for the longest time, that's kind of where it sat. No one knew what happened. There was nothing to go on, like you said. The speculation concerning, like, a giant squid or something was pretty easy to dismiss because the ship was fully, like, it was was condition. It was intact. It was totally fine. Which squids don't do. Yeah, squids be bad. Squids be big. Squids drink all your alcohol. They leave yeah. the sheets yeah. a mess. You're right. They never would have left those alcohol titties yeah. alone. And then the fact that there was a full cargo suggests that there wasn't pirates. Right. They would have done mm. taking that. Alcohol. Pirates would have been drunk as fuck. They would have been like, ethanol? I don't give a fuck. Put it in my veins. So here is a leading theory. I'm scared. It seems highly possible that leaking alcohol caught light and sent Captain Briggs into a panic prompting a dreaded cry, abandon ship. But that's always been discounted because there was no sign of fire or explosion, right? Right. A blast of sufficient magnitude to persuade an experienced captain to take the last resort of like jumping ship would surely have left like scorch marks or marks in the wooden barrel in the hold. Like you'd be able to see that. Mm -hmm. But Dr. Andrea Scully from UCL Chemistry built a replica of the hold of Mary Celeste and using butane gas simulated an explosion caused by alcohol leaking from the ship's cargo. They recreated it, they remade the boat, and they tested it. Instead of wooden barrels, he used cubes of paper. Uh-huh. Setting light to the gas caused a huge blast which sent a ball of flame upwards. Surely the paper cubes would be burned or blackened or the replica hole damaged. But remarkably, neither happened. It was a pressure wave type of explosion. Whoa. There was a spectacular wave of flame, but behind it was cool air. No oh. soot was left behind and there was no burning or scorching. It was just one sudden 
poof, fireball. Given all the facts, replicating the conditions on board the Mary Celeste, the explosion would have been enough to blow open the hatches and would have been completely terrifying for everyone aboard. <laughs> and that could have, like a spark could have been easily triggered by two loose barrels rubbing together or like, I don't know, like a crewman dropping a cigarette. An old timey lantern. Old timey lantern even. Or as I would call it, a modern lantern because I was born then. Because you were born in 1860, yeah. exactly. And the records did show that they had lost 300 gallons of alcohol. But... Those were from barrels made of a different type of wood, which is known to leak. So mm. Maybe oh. they just lost it because of that. And then they were like, well, we knew that was going to happen. Who knows? The boarding party found the main hatch secured and no one reported smelling any fumes or an explosion or anything like that. Or yeah. anything like that. Or anything like that. So don't ask. Enter documentarian Anne McGregor, because she got to know. Yeah, she She has to here. figure out this mystery. She thought that if she could determine the precise spot from which Briggs, his family, and crew abandoned ship, she might be able to shed light on why they did it. She knew from the transcriptions of the log slate that the ship was six miles from and, with, and within sight of the Azores island of Santa Maria on November 25th. She knew that from the testimony during the whole trial thing, when they were trying to get the money. Right. She found an like an oceanographer, and together they worked backwards to retrace the route Yo. of the Mary Celeste oh, cool. from New York, using weather patterns and ocean reports and the way that currents move and all this kind of thing. This guy was called Phil Richardson. And basically, they concluded pretty comprehensively that the ship had sailed itself from the 25th of November until it was found on December 4th. From the last ever report in the logbook, the crew had abandoned it that day and it had sailed itself to where it was found. <laughs> so wild. That's scary as shit. For over a week. Ugh, that's just a haunting image. Yeah, I don't like that. At this point, McGregor thinks, okay, a captain would most likely order a ship to abandon only within sight of land. Right? Right. Mm. Like a captain with Otherwise his you're doing them to die. Right, exactly. What she believes happens, again, I mean, we, this can never be proved, unfortunately. The conclusion was that Briggs was actually 120 miles west of where he thought he was because of an inaccurate chronometer. By his calculation, she, he should have sighted land three days earlier than he did. So the captain was already in a kind of a state of panic. Okay, he yeah. He didn't quite know where he was. He thought he was somewhere, but he, complete, he really wasn't. They had also had, by, this, uh, by the transcription, Really, really rough weather. On its previous journey, the Mary Celeste had carried coal and that ship had recently been extensively refitted. But it's thought from McGregor and the oceanographer that coal dust and construction debris could have fouled the ship's pumps, which would explain why one pump was disassembled when mm. they found the ship. So it seems to be a combination of maybe these three things that one of the pumps was broken, the navigational systems were off, so he wasn't where he thought he was. And at the first sight of land, he decided that the safest option would be to abandon ship and for everyone to row in the lifeboat from where they were to shore. They just never made it Oof. to get home. To yeah. Get home. Yeah. Because I mean, that's one thing that I know about ocean stuff is that it's so difficult to gauge how far away something is, right. even if you're like skilled at it. It's just like your mind plays tricks on you. And with an inoperative pump, basically, Bricks would not have known how much seawater was in his ship's hull because it was too fully packed for him to measure visually. Visually, So without that pump, he was sort of actually unaware of the ship's condition, which again makes sense of why you would be like, fuck this. Mm -hmm. We gotta get the fuck out of here. So yeah, at that point, McGregor thinks Briggs, having come through rough weather, 
having finally and belatedly sighted land and having no way of determining whether his ship would sink, might well have issued an order to abandon ship. But again, this is all speculation. (sighs) The most influential retelling, and probably the reason why this is remembered at all, is because it was turned into an early work of Arthur Conan Doyle's. No way. Yeah? So as a 25-year-old ship surgeon at the time, Conan Doyle wrote a story, J. Habakkuk Jeffson's Statement, in which he completely fictionalized and sensationalized the story of the Mary Celeste. He didn't adhere to the facts at all. He renamed the ship uh, Marie Celeste, and the captain's name Completely different. The captain's name was J.W. Tibbs. Oh, you'd Um, never guess. (laughs) <laughs> the vessel carried passengers among them the titular Jefferson. But in the story, it's kind of bad actually. Well, you know, this is uh this is 1884, so um buckle up, because it's real racist. Uh, in the story, a fanatic ex-slave named Septimus Goring, with a hatred of the white race, suborned members of the crew to murder Tibbs and take the vessel to the shores of Western Africa. The rest of the ship's company is killed, save for Jefferson, who is spared because he possesses a magical charm. That uh, oh, Goring dear. worships with his accomplices. Ooh. So, um, but Conan Doyle didn't expect his story to be taken seriously, obviously, but it super was. Oh. oh, no. That and many fictionalized, sensationalized stories of sea monsters being it, like, and, 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 and ghost stories. This is basically how this became the beginning of like a ghost ship. Hell yeah. That's I mean, not cool. great with the racism, that but like, way to yeah. start a genre, bud. I used yeah. it was going to be racism, but like, woof. Yeah. Like even on like a, a a scale corrected for racism, that fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah don't really... hold your breath for the movie remake. There is so much to be to go into about what happened after this voyage to the Mary Celeste because like the curse continues. Oh no! But way. I guess I'll have to save that for a part two because that is the story of the Gow ship. Ooh. Oh my god! I can't believe we're gonna get a part two. Uh-huh. That was spooky. Yeah, I'm actually really freaked out about that. I, in general, find the idea of like long distance ocean travel to be very frightening. Yes, horrifying. I I think we've done this before. Like, I love the ocean. The ocean is important to me, like triple water sign over here. But because of that, I have like a healthy like fear of the ocean. Like, I don't think you should fuck with it. Yeah, too powerful. Hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Score me, babies. Give me points. Ellie. Give mommy points. Yeah. Minus two for calling yourself mommy. Okay. Plus eight for the spooks. And then plus two for the alcohol titties, one for each titty. Oh, my God. Thank you. I appreciate that. Ten points for a spooky ghost story. Negative four points for cousin wife. Sure. Um, Yeah. Two points because it was okay at the time. I think because the cousin wife was normal. Because cousin wife was normal. And then, you know what? That's a lot of responsibility on me. I'm going to give you three points because in my, when you were telling that story and I was imagining it in my mind's eye, I imagined some dolphins at one point that brought me joy. Oh, thank you. Are you ready for the happiest warrior in World War II? Make me smile. Make me smile. After that spooky story? Tell me a story that's going to make me smile. Well, you're in luck because I'm literally about to. But first we are going to start. It's a real Lucy with a football situation. We are going to start in a dark place. Oh. Which is which war? Is the best war? (laughs) Which war do you think is the deadliest war? the deadliest. Who died the most? Like, yeah, who had the most casualties? As who in had the like casualties. I mean, my guess would be World War Two on account of them bombs that got dropped. My 
also guess would be World War II. But I feel like maybe it's a trick question. It's not in this situation. You guys are correct. World War II is the deadliest war on record by almost any metric. The metric that I ended up deciding to use as that was the most fair was like the geometric average. And even, but like in every metric, it's World War II. The geometric average estimated total deaths of World War II was 84 million people, which is- Holy shite. It's inconceivable to like the human brain. But what I thought was really interesting was the second deadliest war was actually- Almost 2,000 years earlier, it lasted for 100 years in China, and it was called the Three Kingdoms War. Whoa. And 34 million, I'm sorry, 38 million people died in that war because it lasted for 100 years. But, like, think about 38 million, 38 million people dying in, like, the first century AD is, like, wild. Insane. The reason I bring that up is to provide a really solid contrast for what what is arguably the least deadliest military engagement, which I just thought was really fun. Okay. Uh, which was, it happened during the Austro- Austro-Prussian War Okay, in the 1800s, which that itself, I just want to be clear, is not the least deadliest conflict. Like they had, they had considerably less, but they had, you know, casualties. However, it was the last war or the last, like anything that the Liechtenstein army participated in. Oh. Liechtenstein, if you don't know, is a very tiny, like, microstate in mm-hmm. Europe. And they don't, they currently don't have an army. They're just like, well, we're, we're fine. And, uh, but they're, the last thing that their army did was participate in the Austro-Prussian War. They sent 80 men into battle and they came back with 81 because they made a friend. Oh my God. So they what? actually had negative one casualty. <laughs> In the oh. Austro-Prussian War. Oh okay, my so. fucking god! <laughs> we are going to go back to World War Two, which I, I, there's nothing that can erase the somewhere between sixty and one hundred and ten million people who died. Like I said, eighty four is like the average. Oh wow, that's just yeah. like the guesstimate. Yeah, they don't, you know, they mm. don't always know. Um, nothing can erase that. However, they did gain one soldier in the world in World War Two in that conflict that actually ended up being pretty special. Okay. Okay. His name was Wojciech. He was part of the Polish army. Uh-huh. Started as a private. He ended his military career as a corporal. Hey, well, way to go. He was known as being resilient, strong, and fiercely loyal. Is it a dog? No. Okay. Come on, Ellie, be serious. Oh. A dog in the military? Oh. Y'all have dogs. Specifically, I've seen a movie about it. Specifically, yes, but like they're not like they're not corporals. Okay, they play basketball. It's a cat. Yeah, it? it's not a cat. <laughs> Cats would never help any military. They're not loyal to yeah. anyone. <laughs> uh, you know, I love cats more than I love anything else on this entire planet. They're not going to help you win a war. Wojciech, however, Private Wojciech gained notoriety first for his ability to lift hundreds of pounds of ammunition at once. Horse. Stop it. <laughs> y'all are just y'all are just really making yourselves look silly at this point. Okay, fine. Because a- Wojciech was a bear. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> a bear? A bear! He was a bear. He was a bear. Who's so, a big bear? Or was a bear. big brown bear? Little bear, grizzly bear? No, big old brown bear. So, Wojciech... This is important. He has an origin story that literally is out of a Disney movie. Wojciech Origins. Wojciech colon Origins. Comrade Bear. Stop it. He said a so, 
like the movie Brother Bear, but like but a comrade instead of a brother. Comrade Bear. It? Yes. I will say the story is chock full of Polish names that I'm going to do my best with. I'm it's hard. I looked up Wojciech. I wasn't able to look up every name, but I'm gonna do my best. This is not like the most important part of the story, but I'm gonna try to get it right. Is that you guys know that like Poland was one of the first things that the Nazis invaded, right? Yeah. yeah. So Poland was occupied for a while. So the Polish soldiers who were able to fight for the Allied forces, they basically joined the Soviet army. Mm-hmm. And the Soviet army was moving through like the Eastern Bloc, right? It was a better to bet to... at the time. Huh? But much better bet. Oh, yeah. Know. Much yeah. better bet. So they joined the Soviet army. They had like a Polish, like kind of like infantry within the Soviet army. So they're moving through Russia and then they're trying to come around through the East to get to Italy to fight. Mm-hmm. So while they're doing that, they stop at one point in Iran. And while stationed in Iran in 1942, Polish soldiers encountered just basically like an Iranian boy who had found a bear cub and was just like playing with this Yo. bear cub in the street. This is my bear. And then when they asked the yeah, when they asked this boy, like, you know, kind of through like, you know, the half speak that either of them could do in the different languages, the boy explained to them that he had found the bear cub because his mother had been shot by hunters. Aww. So he had no mother. <laughs> Which again, very Disney, right? Yeah. Very so like, Disney. little tiny orphan bear no family, so this boy's just playing with him. So the boy is trying to sell the bear cub to make money for his family. Fair. And mostly, like the the like Polish army kind of like treats it as like kind of like a fun novelty that they've seen like while on the road. But and again, this just feels very Disney. It just so happened that the great niece of the general, who was an eighteen year old named Inka, I'm a great niece. Yeah. I'm the grand niece of the general. I am here with the soldiers for no reason. Clip clopping through the forest. We'll get Lean to do a. a I'm here on. to be. Yeah, Lean's gonna come in. He's gonna do a whole pass on this. So yeah, you know, because you, you have to have girl in the story for like at least a minute. So yeah. girl's in the story for a minute. She's the grandniece of the general. She sees this bear and she's like, Grand uncle, grand uncle, I want the bear. So Give they, me the bear. So they buy the bear from this kid and she has the bear. She's obsessed with it. This, yeah. this means that the bear now travels with the Polish regiment. Then she bounces out. She leaves the bear with the Polish guys, right? Right. Basically, the bear was donated to the second transport company which becomes the 22nd Artillery Supply Company. So this is just like a company within the war effort where their whole job is to transport the huge boxes of like ammo and supplies and guns and all that shit. I can't fucking imagine being (laughs) in the middle of of the largest war in in the history of wars... (laughs) The war and me and the shipping you, guy. You're fucking. You're fucking working on. You've got ammo to deliver. You're fighting for the future generations, and then it's like, hey guys, yeah, the general's great niece got bored of the bear and went home, and we have to fucking take <laughs> care of a bear. bear now. Could you fucking imagine? You punch okay, in that hang day. On, hang on. You're like, I'm fucking. I'm so fucking tired. <laughs> I got trench foot out the ass, and now I have to take care of goddamn Winnie over here. Are you fucking kidding me? Can you I... imagine writing that? Can you imagine writing that pilot and be like, okay, so get this. You're <laughs> in World a war, war three, but you work for Amazon. <laughs> and then like, Jeff Bezos's niece brings you a bear. And that's where we're at. That's where we're at. But it's an eye bear. It's an apple bear. Eye bear. 
Anyway, but this was a real bear. So now this bear is with the artillery supply company. They name him Wojciech, which is a diminutive of a longer name that I cannot pronounce uh, that means happy warriors. That's what we got. Happiest warrior in World War II. Paddington of World War II. The Paddington of War. They first tried to feed Wojciech because he's still a bear cub at this point, right? Baby! He's still baby. So so he's basically the baby Yoda of World (gasps) War II. And all these soldiers have him and they try to feed him condensed milk because it's the only kind of like milk they have, right? Paternal powdered milk from a vodka bottle and he can't drink it. Well, don't let the water So then they eventually figured out how to feed him. They're mostly giving him like syrup and like jelly Mm because like those are the kind of things that they get like, you know, in their rations. Yeah. Uh Um, And he grows big and strong. He developed a fondness for beer early on and they loved giving him beer. Oh my God. And they quickly figured out which you guys probably know about bears from like dancing bears and circus bears. Bears love to imitate humans, especially like bears that grow up around humans. I did not know this. Oh yeah. I know this at all. That's why you can train a bear to be like a dancing bear. Oh my God. Or like do circus stuff is because bears who grow up around humans love to imitate humans. Like parrots? Yes. So Wojciech the bear would smoke cigarettes. He would drink beer. He would walk on his hind legs. He would stand up and salute. He learned how to salute. No, yes. yes. I'm still having, but just to. Oh, we're gonna get. We're okay. gonna get to where your cognitive dissonance is. I promise. There's an anecdote for this. Okay. So he loved beer. He loved to get fucked, and he would drink <sighs> coffee in the mornings. Oh. He also loved to wrestle with the other soldiers and he would sleep in their barracks with them when they would get cold and keep them warm. Oh my god. I like know. A, like balloon? I know. Oh my gosh. But here's the most but did important. Did he know scratch scratch? What? Didn't he like scratch yeah, How do you tail? wrestle no. a bear without scratch scratch? They loved him. No, he would never hurt them. That was his family. So yeah, so you do all these things. So, but at this point, he's like essentially functioning as a mascot. But then... They figured out really quickly because, like, at this point, he weighs like 200 pounds. He's almost six feet tall. Oh, right. As like a growing boy. Like I said, they are the artillery supply company. So they have these giant boxes that are multiple hundreds of pounds full of artillery for like the heavy machinery, uh-huh. right? It on average takes four soldiers per box to move these boxes as they're going through like the Eastern Bloc to wor- marching towards Italy. They figure out that uh, Wojciech can move a box by himself. Aww. So they so Wojciech starts happily moving the boxes for them. So he's actually performing like a really important service because he can Yo. do the work of four soldiers at once easily. How does he move them? He picks. He's just that strong. He picks them up. Bears are stupid strong. But he can pick them up but like I, human. Yeah, yeah. He's already walking on his hind legs. That's how he's learned how to walk. So he picks up the boxes and he and he moves them for the soldiers. So then this is what happens. This is the best part. So like I said, they're all they're moving through the east, right? They got Wojciech in Iran. Yeah. They move through Egypt. They're having all this fun. All the things I've already described. Then when they get to Egypt, they meet up with the British army. And the British army is supposed to transport them from Egypt up through the Mediterranean to Italy where they're going to fight. Okay. And then due to regulations... So the British, being sticklers for rules, they say no pets, no mascots. Ew. Yeah. What? They say no, no bears, no, no pets. You can't bring your fucking pet on, well, the, on so our. So bad. Exactly. <sighs> they were like, you can't bring your fucking pet. So then the Polish, not to be like, not to be outdone by some fucking like bureaucratic British red tape bullshit, right? Right. They say, well, he's actually not a pet. He's a private. <gasps> 
And they officially enlist him in the Polish army. Yes. Yes. He gets king. Yes. So good. So he's officially listed as uh, among the soldiers of the 22nd Artillery Supply Company. He gets his own paybook, his own rank, and his own serial number as a soldier. And he lives with that with the other men in tents, which he already kind of been doing. And he gets his own special like wooden like crate for when he has to be transported by truck. So then the British can't say anything because he's officially a private in the Polish army. So then he gets to get on the ship and go with them. And again, like this whole time he's performing like a really valuable service. So the British warm up to him actually pretty quickly. Like again, and this goes back to what you were saying, Miles, like what had happened was you're a British soldier you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. You're like, oh my God, everyone's dying and I don't want to die. And they're like, don't worry, the Polish are coming. And then the Polish show up and they're like, here's our bear. Here's our bear. <laughs> and so that's actually our bear. Here's our bear. Here's and our the boxes. British are like, hey, no. Here's our box bear. Hey, actually, no. And then the Polish are like, trust us, he actually does like a really good service. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking you about? You are talking to private bear Bear. (laughs) private Wojciech the bear so but then it turns out the British were wrong they warmed to Wojciech the bear they all traveled together to Italy and now we come to the battle of Monte Cassino which is a big battle in World War II in a casino no it's just spelled like that (laughs) Wojciech played an incredible game of poker (laughs) (laughs) Wojciech successfully uh, got a full house and won the entire and he fucked Eva Green and she was pleased (laughs) Monte is casino Wojciech carried so many hundred pound crates of artillery shells he never dropped a single one and he helped them win the battle I might actually cry He did. He had. He showed such remarkable bravery during this battle that they promoted him from private to corporal. Oh my! Oh God. my fucking God! Did he get a medal? Yes, of course he did. Oh I God. need to know. I need to know how this bear lived out his last days immediately. I'm about to tell you. Good. In recognition of Wojciech's popularity and his service to help win World War II, the 22nd Company of the Polish Army, which still exists officially adopted a bear carrying an artillery shell as their, like, imagery. And you can see it. This is what it looks like. (gasps) Oh, look at him. He's just carrying that artillery shell. He's so good. I'm distraught. I know. That's incredible. And if you were worried that this had, like, a really sad, fucked up ending, it doesn't. Following... He was a good, good bear. He was a good, good bear. So they won the Battle of Monte Cassino. They travel up through Europe. And they get to Scotland. Okay. And in Scotland is when they're like literally to all of them, not just Wojciech. They're like, well done, Poles. You've done it. You're 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 good. And they demobilize, which basically just means like they yeah. don't have to Go do stuff home. anymore. Go on home. By the time they get there, this is in 1947. Because like this, obviously this whole like timeline is yeah. like truncated. Yeah. So it's 1947. War is over. They're like, you guys did a great job. It, we're officially done. You can go home. So at that point. They've been in Scotland for long enough that, like, all the Scots have, like, become very enamored of Wojciech, which is, again, very funny to think of, of, like, a bunch of Scots in, like, the 40s being like, Oi, bear! I can't do a Scottish accent. Maybe Ellie can. You best start believing in ghost stories, bear. You're in one. <laughs> so, anyway, so the so the uh, Scots are really into this bear. Pull him to go home. So they gift Wojciech to the Edinburgh Zoo. Oh. Where he is beloved for his service, and people regularly bring him his favorite treats. What are his favorite treats? Marmalade and ah! cigarettes. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's it's the fifth. 
50s, so no one knows they're bad yet. Okay. And he loves them. Okay. So they bring him cigarettes. Does, is someone's job to light those cigarettes and then hand them to him? He, because no, I, he just eats them because he doesn't understand. He just eats <laughs> He okay. just sees people with cigarettes in their mouths, and he's like, I want to be like my best oh friends. Oh my God. Because so earlier I was like, how the fuck does this bear smoke a cigarette that he doesn't can't. seem physically possible? And you've answered that question and made me want to cry. So side note for Ellie. Okay. I also read that during this period while he was at the Edinburgh Zoo, he was a frequent guest on the children's program, the BBC children's program. Blue pizza? Blue. Yes. But also for the life of me, Ellie, I could not find what the fuck this show was about. <laughs> I looked it up so much. The only thing I found was, and I'm not kidding about this. They were like, Here's the official like emblem for like blue pizza. It was a blue square. No, it's just a blue square. This what is, is this goddamn show about? Blue Apparently pizza. it's been on for like 60 years. It's just a children's variety show. Okay, well, Wojcik was on that show a lot in the 50s. Wow. Um, because he was beloved. If you did something great, then you get a blue pizza badge. Like if you go on the show because like your school's clarinet choir was featured that oh, week, no. then you get a blue pizza badge. You get a ghost ship? That- you, you get a fucking <gasps> Ghost ship? You gotta go ship. That's insane. I don't know why it's called the blue pizza. So, just to bring it all home, Uh Wojcik died peacefully at the zoo in 1963 at the age of 21. And in case you're worried, that's actually very close to the life, like the normal, like in the wild lifespan of a brown bear, which is 25 years. So, there's no indication that like he lived like a lesser life because there was nothing that was like, Oh, and he was mistreated at this moment or like he was like unhappy or he never tried to escape. It really seemed like because he happened to be a bear due to like unusual circumstance that grew up with humans, he wanted to imitate humans and he wanted to be useful to humans. He found a job to do. He did it really well. He helped the war effort. He helped the allies win in Italy. And then he was rewarded and celebrated for the rest of his life. I just imagine I fucking bear <laughs> sitting in a goddamn big old tent. Uh-oh. And like, he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows that there's a bunch of people all around him laughing, giving him cigarettes and marmalade. And just kn- like, did he know? Like, did, like, did they, Vojek, did you know? Chelsea. Anyway, that's the story of Wojcik. Chelsea, 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 Chelsea. I know. Chelsea. Look, there he is with his shell. This might be the wine talking. <laughs> I want to give you a hundred points. <gasps> yes! <laughs> Amazing. And that's it. Chelsea? That's it. I want to give you a hundred points and that's fucking it. <laughs> God bless this bear. Uh, that's wow. Corporal Wojcik to you. Minus Corporal. one point for being a dick. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to take off 85 points. <laughs> you son of a what bitch. What you just said to Miles. <laughs> you son of a Thanks, bitch. Thanks, babe. You guys are so... Okay, but consider this image of uh, baby Wojcik surrounded by men from the 40s in shorts. Plus five points. Five? Well, I'm not done. Okay. So minus 85, plus five. Well, you're already at 20, so calm your tits. Minus three points, because I don't like the idea of him being in a zoo. I know, but I mean, I, to be fair, I think... He could never have gone back to nature. That bear yeah, would never have would never. No, no I don't want him to go back to nature. And they I wanted to live in a house. Be, they weren't going to be a military You anymore. wanted him to have a bear house. I wanted him to have a house. Well, if Let you were a bear see. designing your own house, don't you think you'd kind of make it 
Like what a zoo Also, again, he was, be? I don't know. at this point in his life, he had spent his entire life with, like, not just with humans, but, like, surrounded by humans at all times. Right. And so at the zoo, he got to be seen by, like, scores of fans mm-hmm. who gave him presents for the rest of his life. But did he get to, like, interface with them? Was he, like, trapped in a little glass cage? I'm sure he interfaced with the staff. Actually, it looks like in the 40s and 50s, they had way less security yes, around a bear Yes, it does. So he's, like, barely he's even, like, look- separated. Yeah, he's chilling. He has a park that was a very low wall. I'm happy for him. <laughs> yeah, there's a small child standing hey, in front of a poor excuse of a wall. Just- yeah. Plus five for 1940s safety. Yes. And that's our episode, guys. Miles, thank you so much for being here to react to us. It was a pleasure. I was scared, and then my heart was immediately warmed. Aww. Oh, that's true. Oh, it was gauss. scary. Bears. There was gauss, but then there was beers. It does remind me of like, when I was a small child, my mom would be like, this movie's too scary for you, and be like, it's not scary. And I would watch a scary movie, and then I would get very scared, but I didn't want to tell anybody that I was scared. And then I would watch the the Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Like that was always like my sal. Ghost Bear. Yeah. So we did literally. It was Ghost Bear. Yeah. So guys, Holy this is shit. a hot tip. Hot tip. If you ever watch a movie that scares you, bear. Just bear. watch Bear. Watch Bear. Find don't, Bear. Find find that bear. Find a bear. Don't watch Revenant. Revenant is a yeah. bear that won't make you feel better. <laughs> Revenant is not a bear that will make you feel better. Yeah. Don't watch that. One. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of What. Chelsea, how can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche, where literally wherever internets are sold. Milosh. If you want to find me, you can uh, always find me at the uh, abysmally pretentious at the Miles Luna on pretty much everywhere. But don't do that. Instead, look up a picture of Wojciech the Bear. Hey, guys. If you want to support this podcast, take a little screenshot of you listening to it and uh, send it to us on Instagram or Twitter. Um, we'll retweet it or repost it because we want to see that. That sounds real fun. We want to know that you guys are enjoying it and let us know your favorite moment from this episode. Because yeah, let that... us know what you thought. Yeah, let us know what Good you or thought. bad. We can take it. We're yeah, adults. Whatever, but mostly good. Yeah. Because um, I will cry <laughs> publicly. I love to cry. Personally. You can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram, Patreon, Facebook, and Redbubble. And you can find our website at those two girls.club. Send us a picture of you listening to the episode. We'd love to see it. And I don't know, maybe you'll learn something. Okay, I know normally at this point I do keep it loose, keep it tight, say your present night, but I actually have one more thing to say about Wojciech to sign off that okay. I just learned just now oh. while I was looking at pictures of him at the zoo, okay. which is going to, I think, make you really emotional. Oh, okay. So prepare for that. So in addition to, like, children and, like, Scots and like that that love to come visit him at the zoo because of his um, appearances on Blue Peter, the most common people that would come visit Wojciech were former Polish soldiers. <gasps> so imagine it's, like, it's, like, 10 years on from the war and it's like a man in his 30s who remembers and he goes, he travels to Scotland. I know. And he goes to Edinburgh and he just looks into the eyes of the bear. Do, they, kn- do they know each other? They- and they know each other and he salutes him. Ellie's actually crying. He Ellie's salutes him crying. and the bear salutes back. And this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional. Fucking learn something. <laughs> do it.